it could be better than you're imagining, you know? And if you don't go for it, how will you ever know what could have been possible? Oh, I have like full body chills. I really do. And it's just, your heart is still beating. Your lungs are still pumping. Your eyes are still seeing. You can still do it. You're still alive. And therefore you can still create the thing that you've been waiting to do. When my guest today was just 17 years old, she got the chance to experience what many might consider a dream come true. Discovered by a Grammy-winning music producer, she was plucked from a small, rural town in southern New Jersey and whisked away to Los Angeles, California, on what appeared to be a rocket ship towards superstardom. But almost as quickly as that rocket took off, it fizzled, leaving her right back where she started, only a little more jaded and a lot less confident in who she was and what, if anything, she was meant to do with her voice. This sent her off on a path of self-discovery, which while at times was difficult, eventually opened up her heart, as well as doors, to new possibilities. So please enjoy this conversation with my friend Brittany Kozak, and learn about how when things fall apart, we can put them back together, oftentimes better than we ever imagined. Welcome to the podcast, Brittany. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. What's, what's your married last name? My last name is Kozak now. Co- Brittany Kozak, recently married. Congratulations. Thank you. I am, I'm a little sad, though. So for those of you listening, Brittany's a good friend of mine, and I've known her for years, but we know her as BB. And, <laughs> and my first question for you is actually, how did you let go of that amazing alliteration of bb bruno was the greatest name <laughs> well you know what it, it actually really hasn't gone anywhere like people still call me bb and i love it um and i've attached the k onto the end like when i write emails i always like just sign it bbk and people know who it is but yeah bb is still around and i and i really love it bb bruno man it's solid <laughs> i know it, it rolls off the tongue it does. So so we're here. I'm excited. I'm so excited to have you on here. We're going to get into your story in a moment. And your story is great. And why I love it is because it, it contains everything. It is the human story. There's goals, there's success, there's redemption, there's fear. It's it's just, it's the human gamut in one little life. And, and I love it because it encapsulates all of our lives. So we'll actually start, let's start this at the beginning. Let's start with you. What happened with you when you were 17 years old? young BB Bruno? Well, you know, it actually began even before that. I was between like 10 and 13 at the time. And a friend of a friend knew Rodney Jerkins, like the the Dark Child group, the producers. Mm -hmm. And so somehow, I don't even know how it happened at this point. But I was invited over to the Dark Child studio in Pleasantville. And I remember walking into the room and I met Rodney Jerkins, LaShawn Daniels, who comes into the story later, and someone named Osanachi. And I sang for them. And I think I sang a Disney song. It <laughs> makes so much sense. I did. And like, of course, I, you know, at that time, like, I was too young. They're that, they were like, that was so nice. And um, they're like, but you're too young. And, and that was kind of the end of it. And then after that, it kind of felt like a fever dream <laughs> that had happened. 
Mm-hmm. So then, okay, so years later. Wait, so wait, real quick, let's back okay. it up. So, so for those of you that don't know, we live in a really small town in southern New Jersey. That's where we grew up. Yeah. And Rodney Jerkins is a, is a local music producer that ended up winning Grammys. He produced stuff for um, a brand, I think he did Brandy and Monica's "The Boy Is Mine." Is it "The Boy Is Mine"? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there was a period of time when like famous people were just like flying into our little town and recording at this studio. Yeah. So like, like it was a big like you at, at what eleven years old like that it was a it. big That's a deal. huge deal yeah and i didn't really know like the weight of it i didn't really know what was going on but um my parents seemed really stoked about it so like when i walked <laughs> in i was like this is cool like look at all these shiny records on the walls like this is neat and i didn't know the weight of it and i didn't know the weight of it later on when the story continues so i think i was like 17 at this point i was in high school And we went out with that family friend who had that connection. And for some reason, I guess like my singing came up. I had been taking singing lessons since I, I don't know, like I was like, like back when I first went to their studio, to the uh, Dark Child studio. But that topic came up and then they were like super impressed with like, I guess my maturity at the age of 17. This sounds so silly. Sounds so weird, but that's what happened. And then they asked me to sing for them in the parking lot in Galloway at Bagel Gourmet. <laughs> and I did. And I did. I know. What a great specific in a parking lot at Bagel Gourmet. If you know me, though, like, you know that I literally hate singing on the spot. I'm, I was always a very shy, introverted person. But I knew that there was, like, that connection there. So I was like, I'm going to. I'm going to like have the courage and just put my fear aside and just sing in the parking lot. People walked by and they were like, what the hell is going on over there? Like, why is this girl just, they're just like standing in the parking lot and I'm singing. And then they called their buddy up, LaShawn Daniels, who it was a part of the Dark Child group. So it was Freddie Jerkins, Rodney Jerkins, and LaShawn Daniels, who were like the main three producers. And they they worked with like, they worked with Destiny's Child, Michael Jackson, uh, Whitney Houston, Lady Gaga. Like, it was just crazy. I'm like shaking right now because it's like I'm reliving this experience. So they call up LaShawn and I'm in our friend's house with LaShawn Daniels, like before I knew it. It was like so quick. And he was like, what, what do you want to sing? And I'm like, I'm going to sing Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. And I sang it. And he was like, okay, cool. Now I want you to sing it again, but give it like a little bit more emotion. And I did. And he was like, okay, like it was a done deal. At that point, he, he knew that I could take feedback in the moment. And at that point, I could tell that he was like interested in working with me. And he was asking me questions. He was like, are you like, do you want to be a music artist? Do you want to be in movies? Do you want to act? Like, what do you want to do? And I knew that what I wanted was to do music. Like, that's what I was really interested in. And I knew I was good at it. So I had confidence there. And so he invited me to go to his house, his personal music studio and he wanted me to be the lead singer of a band like in his mind he like concocted this vision of like paramore and the black eyed peas like if they had a baby that's what he wanted us to be 
So okay, got it. So like a little hip, a little like yeah. Rocky. And he put me on a mission to like go find a band. So I'm like, okay. So I literally called like everybody I knew, and I started to like go watch people play like in their garage. I drove around Galloway one day and just listened to people play in their garage. Wait, hold on a second. I'm cutting <laughs> okay. you off. Do people play in the garage like garage sales? Like you just drive around <laughs> and there's different bands playing in the garages? Or did you call people up and be like, listen, listen, dummies, I'm putting together a super group. Yeah. Be in your garage at 11 a.m. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I like started texting everybody that I knew that was a musician. And I was like, I, I have this, cr like people didn't even believe me, you know? Mm. And it was like hard to even believe myself because I was like, this is not real. Like what's going on? But I ended up, calling old like people that I knew that I went to school with that had a band called August in Alaska and like everybody loved them remember the MySpace days oh yeah so they like had a following back in the day and um I went and I watched them play up in what we called the bonus room it was like above their garage and my jaw was like on the floor I was like this is it I was just like I'm calling LaShawn right now and a couple of hours later shows up and watches them play. And it was like, boop, done deal. Okay, we're gonna sign you, we're going to LA. And I was like, like, hold on, what? It was, it was wild. And then before I knew it, we were signing a contract and flying out there. And at that age, I could not wrap my head around what was happening. And I didn't know the weight of it. It was unbelievable. It was just, it was crazy. Got it. So, so then you, so how long before you were in LA? I'm sorry. I don't, the time, the time frame is kind of fuzzy, but um, he had us practicing together for a while because, you know, you've got to get chemistry with, you know, when you're, when you're making music with people, like you've got to have chemistry and there's got to be like that spark. Um, so he had us practicing and he would like come and visit and see how we were doing and we got to the point where we were like sharp like we were tight and he was like okay we're going out we're going out to LA and when we got there from the moment we pulled up to the studio no to the moment we were in the airport we had cameras on us wow he was videotaping us and then when we rolled up to the actual music studio where we were going to start working on music, there was a fucking camera crew. We had cameras on us the whole time, which this is like a detail I never told anybody because it just sounds so unreal, but that's really what happened. Well, un unreal. And also for you, how did it feel to all of a sudden be, you know, back then, like there wasn't a lot of, not everyone recorded everything 10 years ago or, or however long ago it was like, yeah, it, it, to just always have to always have a camera on you was that a shock to you what was that like? well at first it was kind of like oh my god like do I need to be interesting I need to like it was it felt like a lot of pressure but because they were always present it kind of I've like forgot they were there it they just kind of like faded into the background and this was like right when Instagram started so if you go way back 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 into my Instagram feed it's like the very first couple pictures are actually in LA. 
Um, so oh, yeah. it, it was funny. Wait, hold on. I just thought about <laughs> like you said 17 and I thought about when I was 17 and I was like, we didn't even have cell phones. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so now I'm like, wait, this is only 10 years ago. There was definitely cameras and definitely Instagram. But I was like, we used to carry buckets of water to the house <laughs> to, to drink. Damn. Yep. But that's cool. So you got cameras on, you're doing your thing. You're in LA. Yeah, now. we're in LA. And um, we started re-recording some songs that like the band had written. Oh my God. I like, I remember walking into the room and there was like five producers like waiting to meet us. It was kind of like we were being shopped around, but we didn't know it. Mm -hmm. Like he wasn't really telling us. So we weren't, so we wouldn't be weird, you know, like, so we wouldn't know the weight of it and we would act nervous. He just would like move us into these moments where we met like these massive, massive, well-known producers. And I remember the first time I got there, I walked in and I was super nervous because there was cameras. So I like ran into the actual studio room before the whole band and LaShawn did. And I sat down in the chair and there was these five guys. I was super nervous. So I just started making conversation. I was like, what was it like? Like the first time you heard your song on the radio, like I was just trying to make convo and they were like, Oh yeah. Like it was, it was really cool. Um, I think the first song that I heard that I had part in writing was say my name. And I was like, wait, what, what are you talking about? Like say my name, destiny's child. Like what dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay. So this guy's name was D mile. Okay. And just to give you context, the guy I was talking to just won a Grammy at the recent Grammy Awards. And he, um, he had part in writing the, the song. Um, what is that song called? I can't remember. Oh man. I'm an old man. God damn. I think, um, and you hear it, you'll know, but when they started saying his name, when they won the award, I was like, I had this like out of body experience. I was like, wait, are you effing kidding me? That's the person I was talking to when I first got to LA. Did you get the, did you get the tingly tingles? I got the tingly tingles. It was like my mouth <sighs> was over here. My eyes were over here. I was like, this is just insane. <laughs> and yeah, that guy was like present our whole time. We were in LA. He was in the studio pretty often and there when we were recording and like it, uh, mm, it was wild. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So, so Brit, so, so now we are, so now we're 17, you're plucked out of New Jersey. You're in, you're in LA, yeah. right? So now we are at this point, do you think, are you like, all right, this is it. I am literally living this weird dream that people dream about. And it happened very fast and very out of nowhere. So we're at a high point. Right oh now. yeah. We're doing Yeah. Good. We're at a high point. It's like, I, like people are texting me like oh my god like I'm so excited for you you're like living this thing that I've always wanted and but at the same time like I I there was nobody that could understand what we were going through just me and these five guys there's nobody else that I ever knew that had experienced something like this like not even my parents I couldn't talk to any about it to anybody about it because it was just so unbelievable just so unbelievable. So we ended up recording five songs and we had a photo shoot. Dude, I had a makeover. I went and got my hair did. I had bangs. They were like talking about bleaching my hair like crazy white. Like 
we had it okay it was just nuts um but they were like bb bruno we love the name <laughs> keep it forever yeah, like, yeah man we love it they i actually wanted to change my name we were just gonna roll with britney bruno my name wasn't bb at that point that was actually a name that came with yoga they like the name britney bruno and i was like i kind of want to change it but they're like no um so yeah and then once we had our our photo shoot and our album recorded and man it was so good it was so good we started going to places and like I said, they were kind of like shopping us out, but like didn't really tell us that was happening. So this is where I meet Ronnie Jerkins once again. And we're, we're at his studio in LA and it's like this hidden studio. You have to like go through an alleyway and through this crazy garage door, you like pull in and then you walk through the door and you're like in this beautiful work of art studio with pac-man machines and i remember like being on twitter because twitter was a thing at the time and nelly Furtado had just posted a picture of herself in that studio before we got there it was like an out-of-body experience um and i remember him playing like a little bit of her song that they had just been writing when we were in there and it was just so good i'm like this is crazy because that's this is something that nobody has heard yet just amazing. Mm. And so we sat down and, you know, he's playing our music and he's looking at us and um, I'm like shitting myself, <laughs> like what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember, like, I think he like talked to us a little bit, then we left the room and then him and LaShawn had a conversation, which we didn't know. Like, we didn't know what they were talking about. And then we left and uh, we didn't, we, I don't know what happened inside of the room. But like our main goal, like what we really wanted to do was get signed to Interscope. LaShawn had a really great friend, um, Vince Herbert, who was like really high up at Interscope. And so he had that kind of connection and wanted to get us in there. But what had happened was uh, Vince and his wife, Tamar, were um, trying to push Tamar's music career. And so they actually started a... TV show, a reality show card called Tamar and Vince on BET. And um, this is actually where like things started to fall apart because LaShawn was invited to be on the show and they did, they were on the show and uh, things just kind of like fizzled out for us. Cause I think the opportunity just like kind of moved on. And, and if I'm being honest with myself, like I was so not ready. I was so shy. I didn't know who I was. I was scared to write at that point, because I hadn't really done it, you know, like I was, they just wanted me to sing and give me words to sing. But if I was asked to write, I was like, I, I don't know what to do, you know? So yeah, that's where things started to kind of, kind of like fall apart and slow down. And did you, and did you feel it like as it's happening, are you, I mean, you're on a rocket a ship. Rocket at this ship. Point. You're on a literal yes. rocket ship. And then, I mean, I almost heard it when you said, we went in the room at Rodney Jerkins and then the door closed and then we left. Like yeah. it feels like a turning point. It feels yeah. like that. What did it, as it's happening, are you like, are you nervous? Are you like, wait a second, this thing might castle made of sand fizzle out. Or are you just like this? You have no yeah, idea. I have no idea because he didn't really tell us what was happening. Yeah. He didn't really tell us what the conversation, what, like what the conversation was like when we left the room. Um, I think they were probably talking business. 
and the pros and the cons of us and how if we were you know there's like this um spark that you you got to have and it's i remember LaShawn saying to me one time like you want people to want to be you like that's the thing that you want i'm like ooh like that kind of feels weird but i, I get it you know well, we know it. It's interesting because you said something earlier on in this uh, about you walked into that room and you watched that band play and you, they in your jaw dropped. You knew something, exactly. right? And it's really interesting that our bodies, our bodies, will do it whether we like it or not. There's a there's a legendary tape. It's 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 a Pearl Jam like their first demo, and I think the story is like Pearl Jam had sent Eddie. They were already a band. They weren't Pearl Jam yet. But it's these guys up in Seattle and, and they send this like demo instrumental tape to what turns out to be Eddie Vedder, right? Sing some songs over this. He sings, sends it back. And you got to go online and hear it because it sends chills up my spine because it's me imagining being those people hearing Eddie Vedder singing their, for the first time. Oh. Like that voice, it's very yeah. distinct. And just getting that tape back and being like, yeah, this is the fucking guy. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right? Like this is definitely the guy yeah. but that's what i mean is like we when we know it when we feel it and when we hear yeah. it and when we see it It reminds it. me a lot of you know, have you ever seen that clip do you know who maggie rogers is no there's a clip it's okay this. look it up after this and whoever's listening <laughs> to this look it up it's so amazing this really reminds me of the ex of the experience i had when meeting Lashawn. so it, she sings for Pharrell Williams and she's like presenting her music project. She's in college. And I guess like for some reason they invited Pharrell. He's like a guest to come listen. And Pharrell's face was like, Oh my God, like this girl is, there's something here. And I mean, that was all she wrote, you know, after that it was like, he, she probably had a similar experience, but you know, made it, made it. Cause she had, such a she has such immense talent like it's just unbelievable so she also at that time probably went on the rocket yes. ship so let's get back to your yeah. rocket ship and what happened after it started to fizzle so after it started to fizzle we went home we went home um and it had been like a couple of months but we were still practicing we were kind of like waiting to hear back uh with what was going on and he invited us to go to the studio in Philadelphia called Milk Boy. It's like this gorgeous, gorgeous studio right above um, the electric factory. And we went into the studio room and we recorded a, a brand new song, which to this day is like, honestly, probably my favorite song that we did. And I wish I could share it with the world, but, you know, can't which kind of sucks, but wait, like, le like le legally, legally, legally can't like, it? I don't actually <laughs> have it. None of us do. And legally, I don't think we could, even if we did have it, which is a bummer. Mm, I could do it though. Send it to <laughs> me. I'll put that shit out. <laughs> and Who's he going to do? Sue me for zero dollars. <laughs> I know. Right? Yeah. So we recorded a song. We showed our families, all of our families came up and inside the studio and listened to all the work that we did. And we were in LA and, I remember like our parents crying because it was just like such a, an amazing moment to be in a room with these people and all that amazing stuff happening. After that is really when it actually like, whoop, like they, they, they kind of stopped communicating with us. Very little communication. We would practice every week, but we weren't hearing back text messages and uh, 
then he started to like we the television show went live and we we're like oh okay like th things really have moved on um, but I will say this you know like I will always 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 love and respect everybody that I met I understand that it's business and I also understand that when you're when you are someone who has that level of success and the connections that you have you have to put up a boundary with people because you know they'll harass you <laughs> and I understand I understand the boundary that they put up and I will forever be grateful for the way that LaShawn believed in us for the way that they took care of us when we were LA in LA um and just for everything like man it was one of the most amazing experiences of my life and I'll always see it that way because it, it gave me the confidence to put out music today you know like I I I that's my rock when I have like imposter syndrome now I can look back and be like no like I I actually have a gift and I can share this because I know that it's it's good I yeah I love it. And we'll, when we'll get to that in a second, it's interesting too, because you said like when you're at that level, like you need boundaries and, and to be honest, it's actually, it's no different than the boundaries we all need to set 100%. In, in, with our time and our energy. Like, yeah, he, he's got more people coming to him with it, but you know, so does the guy that, that owns the bar up the street that, you know, might book weekly musicians. He's going to have people calling him. I work at a place that has musicians and the amount of calls, we just the relentless people. And I'm like, we sent you the email. He didn't get back. Like, take the hint. Take right, the hint. exactly. But but it's tough. It's like dude, you've only got so much. We've only got so much time and yeah. energy. So so now that you're you're home at this point. So let's talk a little bit about um, your hiatus between then and now. You know, now we'll get into your you're releasing a new EP, yep. which is exciting. so excited. But but what a, let's talk about what happened in that hiatus and and what that how that affected you, what that did to you, where, where, what you were like having that happen and then having it. Disappear. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't think I was processing it as depression at the time, but you know, even though I have so much respect and love for everyone, like I still repressed the experience and for the years following, like being dropped, it was hard. Like I, I fell into partying. I weighed 90 pounds. Like I d couldn't even fit into double zero jeans. Like that's how skinny I was. And I was up all night sleeping all day long. I was like living this crazy party life and my life was, and uh, I repressed the experience. And for like 10 years, it felt like very much, a, like I said earlier, like a fever dream, like it didn't really happen. Mm-hmm. And I definitely collapsed feeling like a failure and, and me into one. And so I was like, you know what? Like that it's meant to be that it's over. I'm not good enough. And I couldn't sing in front of people. And I, when I started to teach yoga, I would sing in Shavasana when people weren't looking at me. Like, so if you practice yoga, you know, you're lying down and your eyes are closed in Shavasana. So I was like, okay, I'll sing here. And people loved it. And, um, People, I think people started coming to my class because I would sing to them, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I've experienced. If, if you haven't experienced, it's it's a lovely, you know, it's a lovely addition to shavasana, which is, you know, the last pose where you're just laying there, and it's nice to have somebody sing beautifully while that's happening. 
I got a question about you. You said collapsing being a failure into yourself. What do you What do you mean by that? What does that look like, and what does that feel like as it's happening? Well, I just I took it on as like it's who I am. It's who I am. I I am. Um, I have failed, and therefore my singing career is complete. I am no longer going to do this, and obviously I don't have what it takes. So that was like the the um, the story that had been re- replaying in my head for the last ten years. It it looks like in the moment being terrified to express myself and to let people in. When I sing, I really I hate the word. I used to hate the word perform or performance, and it's coming around for me now. But when I sing, I really, it's so important to me that I'm giving a piece of my soul. Like I really want to give myself when I am singing it so close to my heart. And so I would be terrified to show that piece of myself in, in fear of rejection because I had experienced rejection at such a large scale. Did that rejection, did that stay within music or did it seep into other things because i know when i decide that i'm a i'm a failure i'm a whatever that it's not just like even if it's happened in comedy you know i bombed it 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 permeates things oh absolutely so you you have that moment and you and you feel that and and it moves into other things but you just said something about performing and giving your piece of yourself it reminds me of, in a sense, you know, the idea of shadow work of like the thing that you're afraid to do, or I would see people that are performative and be like, oh, what a fucking mm, whatever, yeah. right? Sometimes. And then upon deeper reflection, realize like, oh, I don't have the balls to put myself mm-hmm. out there like that. And so it's actually, I'm afraid and I don't have the courage. So I guess my way of dealing with that is looking at that as wrong or wanting to tear it down. When in reality, I would... I would fucking yes, love Christian. to be able to wail and open that heart up and just do the thing. Um, 110%. I can't tell you how long I was a hater. I was a hater for people that were like really shining because mm-hmm. I wanted it. And, and I felt as though I couldn't have it. I know I can now, but like I really was such a hater when people were really going for it. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. So glad I don't do that shit anymore. Like, God, ugh. Well, how did you, like, I had the conversation with Allie, our mutual friend Allie, the other day about that, about how I feel, right? It's not a decision. It's a, it's a bodily reaction. And I, I can have two friends in comedy. And for some reason, for some, I'm just like excited about and proud of them. For some, I'm just, my body's like, fuck that guy. And it's not like they're wrong and they're doing anything wrong. I, I don't know what it is. And I just have to keep diving into inquiry about, where that's coming from, what I'm actually well, afraid of. Well, you know of. what I think it is for, I can speak for myself. It's like when I see people, when I am being a hater, I'm like, I'm seeing something in them that is also in me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm seeing mm-hmm. something in them that is also in me, whether it's like I can see that they're really going for it and there's might be like a fear there, you know, and you can kind of see somebody that's like really mm-hmm. trying to go for it, but they have an insecurity. And then I can like kind of, if I'm being a hater, I can attach myself to that and be like, oh my God, look how, what a shit job they're doing. They're so nervous. That kind of a thing. Yeah, It's weird. We'll shit on people 
and that shitting on people will keep us from doing that same thing because we're like well that's what everyone's thinking about me it's like oh like everyone's gonna listen to this podcast like for example and be like listen that guy's fucking voice he's an idiot whatever it's like because i might do that to other people and in that judgment of other people i'm all i'm doing is limiting my own ability to yes god damn it (laughs) so true but so so you so how did you it's interesting because you're like i'm so glad i don't do that anymore what do you how do you think you got out of that or released well um it's been a long time coming i think that yoga has helped quite a bit because it when i um trained to be a yoga teacher i stood up in front of the room and fumbled a whole lot like i was getting my i was using my voice in a different way for uh the first time and seeing people's responses and seeing their kind, loving eyes and, and the acceptance when I wasn't doing a great job. And I was like, oh, like it, I could see how I was so judgmental toward people who were fumbling. And ultimately, I was angry at myself for fumbling. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and also you get to watch it makes total sense. And you get to watch the story you have about yourself. Exactly. Everyone's judging me. Everyone's hating me. And then they're looking at you kindly and you're like, wait a second, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I am wrong. That's right. And then, and then I, you know, I had lots of practice with teaching yoga and, um, you know, it really got me back in the arena with music. LaShawn in 2019, or maybe it was 2020. I think it was 2019 got into a a car accident and died like a tragic tragic car accident and and died and i was like what um and i and i'm i feel like i'm still processing that because it was such a unique relationship where at one point he was like the reason why he believed in us you know, and, 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 and saw something in me and in the guys in the band and brought something out of us and, and really taught me a valuable lesson that anything is possible. And the other hand, he kind of like disappeared and put up that boundary, which was hurtful, but I also understand it. So when he died, I was like crushed and didn't process it, but it brought up the past. It brought up the fever dream, made it real again. Let me ask you about the prop real yeah. quick. Yeah. Bring it out. The um so when he passed, and I'm sorry to hear that. Um like did you how did how did how did it make you reflect on your relationship with him? I know looking back and 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 did it soften it? Did it harden it? I'm I'm interested in it because you know, I remember when my father passed and we didn't have the best relationship. And then I remember just like being able to replay things and, and see it in that new light, see it in that light of like, wait a second, maybe maybe this person, you know, didn't wasn't a wasn't a piece of yeah. shit or whatever those things might be. Um, well, I never I never had like I was never angry toward him. I was always grateful. I'll say that. I always was so grateful for him because he was truly like, I mean, you know, you meet people and there's like something about them. They have, I hate to use the word aura, but like they have an aura about Mm -hmm. them that's magnetic. And they just like, this guy was fucking incredible. Like he would, 
connect with everyone in the room and was a mother. Can I curse on this? Have I not said the fuck fuck? He was a motherfucking beam of light. Like this guy was a man of God. Like he was a, he, he was a religious person, but not in a way that was, you know, churchianity. Like he lived, he lived his, his belief and it was beautiful. But anyway, it, it very much made me realize when he died, the impact that he had on my life and, and made me want to not made me want to get up and start again, because I think that's what he would have wanted. You know, I do believe that he loved us. He loved the band. Um, and had to move on because that's that's business but yeah I, I do think it it made me have a revelation and a realization of what an impact he made and how he made me who I am today in so many ways like to have confidence to really work on on um some of the lessons he taught me, which I didn't put into play, by the way, but they were taught to me and now I'm bringing them to life. Okay. Let's just put that out there. Cause I know like a lot of what I'm saying is contradicting, but like now life is, it, contradicting. is. it totally, but he taught me to work on my craft, which is my voice. He taught me that, you know, kindness is the way he taught me that confidence is key like man he would walk in a room and just own it own it talk to everybody he was loud he was funny you couldn't ignore him he was that kind of a person um mm -hmm. and i also have another story i want to share about him so before the band before everything it was just him and i in his recording studio and he handed me a little recorder you know like the old school recorders little guy mm -hmm. And he wanted me to write songs with it. And um, so I brought in my little notebook and I actually had been writing poems and songs for a long time. I had a whole book full of, of little songs and um, he gave me this recorder and, and I was like, here you go, like take a look at it. And he's like, oh, this is so, so nice. Cause at this point I was like a very like innocent, very like pure little girl. So I like wrote mm -hmm. songs about like love and joy and, and the beauty in the world. And, um, you didn't write WAP. I didn't, I know that was not me. <laughs> I love that song by the way, <laughs> but I did not write it. <laughs> um, and so he was like, all right now, you know, try a melody. Like, how would you start off a song with this line? And I just froze. Cause I had never done that. And he was like, do you, do you want me to look away? So he like turned around in his chair and I, and I went for it and it was, it wasn't very good. Um, and he was like, well, that's pretty strong to start off a song. Okay. And, um, we moved on and, and, and so we never wrote a song together, but I took that book. That was my first perception of failure. I took that book, I ripped it up and threw it in the trash because I was so mad at myself for not giving it a shot or not doing a good job. And I found that recorder that he gave me. The other day I was in my childhood bedroom and we have it on our piano downstairs. And it's just kind of like a reminder that I can do it. I've started writing songs now and it's kind of like this hidden thing that I've been able to do for so long. Like I, I've been like sending voice memos to the guys that used to be in my band and they're like, what the, 
like what the fuck dude we could have been a touring band for years like what are you doing yeah i i have um if i ever get my hands on a walkman <laughs> i have tapes and tapes of me playing music like as a child and singing and guitar and stuff and it's interesting because i could put those tapes on and as soon as i put them on i i've listened to them like growing up so mm -hmm. much as i was recording them that i know i know i know them inside and out and i forget that i know them so i forget how big of a part of my life it was until i listened to yeah. them again and i'm like oh that's that was that was such my identity and what i thought i was going to do yeah that it's interesting to go back it actually feels i mean it's it's a catch 22 it feels good and then i feel a little bit of that regret of like you could have just done that mm. for the last like I, I think when I think about Bruce Springsteen, I always use him as an example of like my mom went to high school with Bruce Springsteen and my mom is my mom. So I was like, since my mom's been in high school, was in high school, Bruce Springsteen has woken up and Bruce Springsteen every day of his life. Like he's just played and made music for 45th. Oh. And I saw him a couple of years ago. That motherfucker plays for like five hours crushing hits dipping his head in like an ice bin every 20 minutes so he doesn't die but it's like that dude is living it and it's it's inspiring to see it is and um, i think that's one thing every morning that i need to, it's like a mountain i've got to climb mentally where i'm like why did i stop for 10 years why did i stop for 10 years it's painful to be like, why did I suppress myself for so long? And now it's like a creative explosion. And I'm like, I hope mm -hmm. that I'm still with it. You know, I hope that I, I've still got it. I hope that I'm um, not too old, which sounds probably ridiculous. But I'm like, you know, now 27 in LA is like 50. <laughs> I think yeah. the old bag of yeah, bones, an old bag of bones <laughs> baby. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm too old, which is so probably anything's possible. Right. But it's, I know that. You can say, okay, so you are correct. You can say it feels dumb, yeah. but you can also say that it feels universal. Cause I know somebody you've probably felt that, you know, what's interesting about regret or, you know, we're telling this story and maybe you're 27, mm -hmm. right? So it was still a 10 year hiatus. Yeah. That's 10 years of your life that you got to think about this and, and, and feel that regret. And so whether you're 27 or 37 or 47 or 57, that feeling is, is, is a universal thing of fuck. I wish I, I wish I could have, should have, would have, mm -hmm. right? It, it always exists. But let me ask you in the moment right now, since you are in the middle of the EP, and I and I want to back up in a, in a couple minutes to the years between, because mm -hmm. you didn't just sit around and do yeah, nothing. That's true. You you are owner of a yoga studio. You're doing good. But right now, in the midst of writing an EP, how do you move through that regret? It's easy to sit in there and be like, I wish I could have, mm -hmm. into physically writing songs, into moving forward. Um, honestly, the memory, the memory of being believed in by someone who was at a very high level of success in the music world is what moves me forward. Every time I sit down, it's like, I've got to remember um, that I, I have a gift. It very much feels like a, a vocation, like not an occupation. It feels like something that has been calling me since I was 10 years old. Like it's just, it's pull, it's calling me. It wants me. And um mm -hmm. My one of my teachers, Suzanne Conrad, she played the song on one of our Zoom calls. It's called Futures. I don't know who it's by, but the chorus is like, it's not ever too, it's 
not ever too it's not ever too late or something like that and um I just started to cry I'm like it's not ever too late like it doesn't matter I can do it in my own way who cares as long as I'm making music that I'm proud of and it's touching people like that is what is the most important thing and I will feel so deeply satisfied and I do like the recent release of the song with my buddy Kyle Flora Boros we made a song called Tangerine Summer like it is good and people are responding to it and it's it's I'm so proud and I feel like there's been a lot of healing that's been happening through this process of writing again. I love it. I love that, you know, you said that about, you said this, the Flora Boros song, which if you're listening to this, you heard it at the beginning. That was, that was Brittany. That was baby singing um, in the intro. And you said, it's really good. And you were talking about your band back in the day and you were like, really good. I really enjoy your confidence in your, in your craft. I really enjoy the idea that you do believe in yourself. I do. Um, and maybe it took a while to get back there, but you, you, I think you're aware of what you're capable of and you, and I think maybe you gain that, or I think people gain that awareness by when it's happening, you feel the power. You mentioned people being, um, lighting up a room earlier. And I think you're aware when people react to you in positive ways. Yeah. We're not unaware of when what we're doing is connecting and affecting people in positive ways. So I'm glad you're aware of that because that's a powerful, you said about calling, like that's a powerful way to move Thank forward. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I, I am, I can say that I am very proud of myself and I do believe in myself for the first time in a long time. It feels like I'm dusting the dust off my shoulders and pulling the rubble off. I'm like, I'm back motherfucker. I'm like, I'm here and I ain't going nowhere, baby. I think we're going to title this. I'm back, motherfucker. <laughs> Please. That's actually great. I, I do want to. I'm a big fan of the the hero's journey, which is a, um, I guess, a myth, not a myth. What is it called? An archetype for like the, for all of our lives. And I want to cut back to that middle part because there's a part of the hero's journey that's very important of every journey, which is the dark night of the soul. That is where things things aren't going too hot mm. and you got to you got to get mm -hmm. through it. So I want to get back to. Well, you know, just to come full circle, there was that middle part because I want to get into how I know you, which is the teaching of yoga, which is that developing that mindset that that helps you out of the darkness in, in ways. Yeah. Um, you spoke about anxiety and whatnot. So tell me a little bit about the, the interim, you know, BB, early 20s, mm. the, re the record, the record dream is gone. Ooh. The music dream. You're, you ripped up the notebook. Oh, yeah. Ripped up the notebook, burned that. How did you come out of those that burnt notebook ashes like a phoenix? Do you want the dark part or do you want the phoenix part? I want it all. Okay. But we can't. The phoenix part doesn't exist without <laughs> yeah, the, dark the dark part. part you is, know this. Is, it's pretty dark. I, I can't lie. And there are some things that I won't say like out of respect of my family just because I don't think they'd like to hear it on, out there in the world. But um, I definitely got into partying and... Um, it was it was a way for us to numb what had just happened. Um, we would go to raves like every weekend. There was one summer where we just were like screwed up all the time, like all the time. Um, and I did a lot of crazy dumb stuff. And I was frail, like I was so skinny because I I wasn't like eating enough um, because I guess being up all night and and being intoxicated like. It's not a lot of time to have some self-care. 
And um, I remember being in bed, like, I just, I got to get my life together. Like, how did I even get here? How did I get here? Like, it was such a peak and such a fall, such a fall. And um, I just remember being like, well, it looks like, um, you know, that song it's like live fast die young bad bitches do it well yeah that was like my motto I was like I'm gonna I'm just gonna go crazy and and just be like bad and do whatever I want and and uh it, it didn't work out for me because I just felt like crap and I was really depressed and at that point like that's actually when I started to date my husband believe it or not like when the band fell apart Jeff and I started dating and sorry bandmates, Cody, Bobby and Rebish, I love you guys. They got very mad at us for dating. I probably should not be talking about this, but whatever. Yeah, they were really angry with us because, you know, we were still clinging to like this dream that it was going to work out. And yeah, we started to date and they didn't like it. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. But it was, it was, well, let, well, let yeah. me ask you while you're there, you know, it's easy to like, you know, Jeff's your Yoko Ono. It's easy to put that thing of like, oh, you're, you're the guys that ruined the well, dream. At, when in hindsight, it's funny it you like, say that because they would say that sometimes, like I was really the Yoko Ono, I think, because I was the one who came later on. Like they were already an established group. Like they were writing together for so long and then, you know. Wait, you and Jeff were double Yoko. We double Yoko. You came in and Yoko'd, <laughs> got them all pumped up, and then Jeff double Yoko'd. Mm -hmm. Oh, you guys! Are I know. The and worst. so I guess why I mentioned that is because in that period, I lost a lot of friends. I actually lost mm. all my friends. My friends that I was friends with in high school, they were like super mad at me because I wasn't telling them that I was dating Jeff and um, just being super sneaky and mischievous. And I get why like nobody would want to be friends with that. Um, and mm now everything's cool we all love each other but yeah it was a dark dark time and in the middle of being like you know 90 pounds I stumbled into grace and glory yoga and that's where everything started to change I remember walking into the building where grace and glory yoga is and they were having their small business Saturday market and um I remember like seeing sweaty people with their yoga mats with like these smiles on. And I was like, oh my God, it was like a seesaw of like envy. Like I really want that. And also like being mm -hmm. a hater. And um, yeah, that goes back to yeah. all of it. I hate it because I really I hate want it. Because I really, really want it. Um, and I didn't, I didn't sign up then, but it was like on my mind ever since I had, had been in the building and saw it. I, I was like, all right, I got to get my, my shit together at some point. So I, I signed up for 40 days. They have like the intro op for, I'm talking about it. Like I'm not the co-owner now of Grace and Glory Yoga. We have an intro offer. <laughs> um, and no, 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 no. You're telling a story. I know. I know. Okay. So at the, at that time they had an intro offer and um i signed up for it and i practiced 40 days straight in a row i was like clinging to like that i could see in people that it was really healing people and making them healthy and happy so i showed up every single day for 40 days sometimes twice and my body felt so good and i and i had like this feeling of health again that i hadn't had in a long time and so i just wanted to be close to it so i ended up 
being um, on their work exchange team, like helping people check in. And then I wanted to teach. I met Allie, who's now my business partner, but I saw in her, I can articulate it this way now. At the time, I couldn't. But I saw in her what she loved about yoga, what I saw in myself, what I loved about music. You know, it was like, it's her vocation, just how mm-hmm. music is mine. And and you saw what it looked like when somebody- Exactly. And it. like really just owned it, even if there was, I mean, I'm sure like when you're a business owner, there's failures. And she just was amazing. It really blew me away. Hi, Allie, if you're listening, I love you. What did she do? <laughs> what is she? She might not, you know. I mean, damn you, Allie. Pretty busy lady. How she's dare you? Bu- she has two kids and a lot going on, and I love her. Um, but anyways, <laughs> yeah, no. Um, that's what I and I wanted to be close to her, so I did the teacher training and um ended up teaching, and then became the studio manager. And then years go by, and I was like, I'm a be co-owner, so I opened up a studio, and that's what I'm doing now. I mean, that's interesting. Like you said, you walked into that place, like in the years between your music dream starting and you, you re reinvigorating it as of mm-hmm. recent, um, you did, you, you know, you, you went to a dark place, you came out of it. Like you said, you stepped into a yoga studio and however many, five years later, you're the co-owner of said studio. And that's, you know, I had a, I had a buddy on my buddy, Dan on the podcast before, and we talked about the hero's journey and how your life isn't just one that's you go through that in every part of your life. Mm-hmm it's a sequence of small journeys and it's really cool to see you with with the music thing coming back around it's really cool to see with the yoga thing going in i'm sure there's parts within the yoga where you're like i don't know if i can do this i don't know if i can teach like you said finding your voice absolutely and now you're like you're like i'm 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 gonna own it i am gonna own it (laughs) literally and figuratively you know what and also talking about small journeys can we talk about 2020 like the, when, when the, when no, no. <laughs> we're not allowed, no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, like owning a business, like be, I was six months open, six months when COVID hit. Okay. <laughs> six months. And we were closed for like, I don't know, six months. And, uh, I learned so much about myself as a business owner, about who I am, what I really want. Like there were moments where I was like, I just want to close and move on because this is anxiety inducing. It makes me want to throw myself through a wall and it's really hard, but I stayed. And I'm so grateful that I did because there was so much that I could do differently when we could reopen, like bring in my team close and, and take them out. And um, I was just very green in my, in my experience of owning a studio when it, when it closed. So it was definitely a, a, an enormous test to uh, what I was capable of as a business owner, as a studio owner, yoga teacher, all of that, and made me so much stronger now. Because I'm like, dude, if we can be six months open, go through a year of a pandemic and still be here, man, I can do anything. But we could go through anything now and be a-okay. Yeah. Another little yeah, man. for BB. You are just a, so, and also let me, let's talk real quick. Cause, cause the folks that don't know this, you know, I, I teach yoga with you and, and we work together and yoga, yoga, the word means union or to yoke and mm-hmm. 
2020 was a real test for everyone's sense of community, sense of connection. I mean, the last couple of years, the reason this podcast is called The Mighty Middle, it's bringing people in together and then moving them up to their highest potential. Mm -hmm. So can you speak for a minute a bit about what we learned in 2020 about about connection, about what a lack of connection causes in us as a people and, and individually and how how yoga or what we do has helped you through it and helped people you know in the community yeah definitely it. okay so being alone in my apartment for months during quarantine you, I could already start to feel myself slide into a depression and also what I notice about myself when I'm not around people is I begin to like demonize people I'll start making up stories about them and why they don't like me or why whatever and what yoga has you do is connect with people in a way where those kind of stories and and thoughts that you have about people vanish whatever you have in the way between you and another human being and it removes all of that subjective meaning that we make about other people Real, real yeah. quick, what are, what's like a mechanism? What is what, how we say removes subjective? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> removes. I know it's very subjective conceptual. meaning, but like, what is that? What does that mean in practice? Like, how do you how do you go about this world and move through the twenty twenty and sure. everything that's going on? And what tools and techniques do you have through mm -hmm. yoga or through whatever that that allows you to try to better connect with people and keep from othering people and keep from making up? Yeah, stories you know, well, people? I think it's meditation and inquiry. It's meditation and inquiry, sitting in silence for an extended period of time and watching what I'm thinking, because it'll tell you everything about where your attention is going. I can remove myself from my thinking because I think in the beginning when I first started meditating, like I collapsed my thoughts with who I am and your thoughts, my thoughts are not who I am. I can create a separate like a, a space where I can watch the thoughts and be like, okay, well, you know, I can have thoughts about the thoughts. Does that make sense? <laughs> like I can be like, no, yeah. like that. I don't actually think that that's true. And inquiry has me always questioning everything that I am doing um, or saying or thinking. So there's no absolutes. I don't put myself into a box or other people into a box. Okay. So say, these are my perspective goggles. Like BB has one perspective about the way the world is. BB's holding up her glasses. Podcast mm -hmm. listeners, she's holding up her glasses as her perspective goggles. These are my goggles of the way that BB sees the world from my experiences and what I have done and what I know from things that I have lived through. And meditation allows me to take the glasses off and be like, okay, well, there's eight, how many people on this earth? Eight billion perspectives. Like there's so many. There's so many other ways to see what's going on. And so that is a total way to ease the anxiety and ease the depression and be like, okay, you know, maybe the way I see it isn't the only way that it is. And then I'll be like, well, you know what? Let me just call that person I'm talking about in my head. Let's get the real story, you know? <laughs> Well, that 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 goes that goes back into action, right? Like we, you, you you said being able to see your thoughts, and me and Ali actually talked about that—the overview effect, the looking at a thing from a different point of view, and being like, "Well, is there different ways?" And this kind of brings us back into um, early on the story. You said that your friend moved you into moments, like moved he he moved us so quickly through things we didn't have time to mm -hmm. overthink it. 
And there's something about action and the action of stepping into courage, courageous things or stepping into a, a situation um, with courage. Like you said, going to this person and being like, hey, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Confrontation, not as conflict, but as clarity. Mm -hmm. Right. Confrontation as in addressing the things that are that exist in front of us, not to blow them up, but to see them for for what they are. Exactly. It takes a drama out of everything. It takes the the um the unnecessary suffering out of everything. We just cut through it and connect with the person instead of drawing yourself and everybody around you into the drama. You know, it's it's thank God I learned that. Thank you, Allie. She she's really the person who taught me that. Man, Allie would get a really big head if she listened to this. I know. This, well, I love won't. her. You Let's know, she's honest. a great friend of mine, my teacher, my business partner, and I'm so grateful for her. She's, um, we're just kidding, she's, guys. She will definitely listen. <laughs> She'll probably post it because she's a good. She's a she good is. Sharer. She's a great share and like such an amazing supporter. Um, mm -hmm. BB, we're gonna we got a couple more questions. We're gonna wrap this okay. up soon. We'll get back to your music career and where you are now. But so there's this quote that's attributed to Howard Thurman. And your journey with the yoga and with the music reminds me of this. And the quote is, don't just ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is more people to come alive. Mm -hmm. And what I love about it with you is, you know, we talk about yoga being what the world needs. And I know that sounds airy-fairy, but what we really mean is wellness, mm -hmm. is, is meditation, is physical, physical wellness and self-inquiry being curious. That's what this podcast is about. It's courageous, it's curious. So you balance that out, which is like doing something that's that's for the world, but also now you've reignited that thing that makes you come alive. So it's, it says what the world needs is more people to come alive. Yeah. Do you think that's true? I do, I do. I think people are not doing what they want to be doing. I think most people, most people are stuck in a job because they're scared of their bills and they're scared of not being able to survive, which is absolutely valid and same, same, if I'm being honest, it's scary. But I think they get cornered into that and they stop living, you know, um, and, and when someone's young and, and they don't have any responsibilities and they're a child, like they just do things that they want to do. They want to put on fairy wings and run around with chocolate milk in their hands, like and do cartwheels, like that's what they're going to do. And it makes them happy. And I think we lose that spark when we get older because of the responsibility, the fear, the, the um, rejection that we experience as adults as we grow older. And I think the world needs more people like not being afraid and, and coming alive and doing what they really want to do. And I think people are even afraid to admit that they're not doing what they want to do. And they're not willing to like do the, the thinking around, well, what is it do I, that I really love? What is it that I really want to do? You know, because then it's going to blow their whole life up and then change has got to happen. Mm. It's interesting. You started out with you know, the fear of the bills and stuff, which is real. That's the tangible thing. That's the thing we can, that's the thing we could posit our fear on or aim our fear at and then go, well, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, money's money. But, but I feel like there's, there's actually a real underlying fear, which is what you said, which is change is hard and it's going to blow your world apart. And back to you with the music thing, 
when you start to doubt yourself and when you start to be like, maybe I don't have it. So whether you're, whether somebody's 27 or 37 or 47, do you think that fear is, we know it's real. How do you move through it? I call, I have a couple of ways that I do it. I'm a practiced fear mover thrower. Okay. <laughs> meditation, silent meditation, feeling the feels, letting it come up. Journaling. I write all my, like, just like free write what's in my head. Relying on memories that do give me the confidence, remembering who I am and that I have the capability. And I have a really great trusted group of people that I can call and they can remind me of who I am when I get scared. So I highly recommend that. Write a small list of people. That's another thing that Suzanne Conrad taught me is to um, have a trusted group of people. She calls it your insurance plan. <laughs> you call your insurance people and they and they remind you of who you are and what you're capable of. That's that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that's actually fantastic. You haven't having people to get you out of your own head and get you back into the reality of like, yeah, BB, you can fucking sing yeah. and you are great at this and you're going to be good. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's just bring it full circle. Thank you, first of all, for of being course. on here and joining me today. So now we are now BB's dropping an EP. <laughs> dropping it's an album. Dog. Is that what the kids say? Yeah, we're dropping an EP, <laughs> baby. So... In, in that, in the moment, since you are currently in the moment of, of having moved through the fear, fear mover thrower, mm -hmm. as you say, um, living back in your gifts, feeling that flood of creativity, how do you feel? I mean, it feels like a whole new chapter of my life. I feel excited. Like I get out of bed and I'm pumped to do something that is exciting to me. Today, um, I was like sharing some ideas with someone and I just started to cry. Like I just randomly started to cry because I'm so excited and, and like, I just can't wait to share what we're gonna do. God, I just, I'm feeling things I haven't felt in a really long time. I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. There's like this little spark in my heart, you know, it's like that, and that really pushes me forward too through fear. That's amazing. And it, you just made me think about something, that idea of like, you know, being called home, being called back mm -hmm. to something, right? It's this weird internal, you're getting to relive it right I now. You're am. being like, oh, I thought I lost this thing and, and here it is, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And the reason I was excited to have you on here is that story, I thought I lost this thing, or somebody's listening to this right now that's like feeling that regret that sense of it's not going to happen, it's too late, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Living in it now and being in a new chapter and feeling it, what do you say to that person that's like, whether they're 22 or 72, that's like, I'll know, this is it, I'm done, I regret. I'm, you know I'm going what to I have grave. to say? I say, it's not ever too, it's not ever too, too it's, it's not ever too late. It's never too late. It's never too stinking late. Like, it could be better than you're imagining, you know? And if you don't go for it, how will you ever know what could have been possible? Oh, I have like full body chills. I really do. And it's just, 
your heart is still beating, your lungs are still pumping, your eyes are still seeing, you can still do it. You're still alive. And therefore you can still create the thing that you've been waiting to do. Even if you've packed it into the furthest closet, into the tiniest little box like I did, and it grew mold and dust, you can still go back and get it. And maybe you don't go back, you bring it forward. I like that better. You bring it forward and open up and be ready for whatever it could be. You know, it could be better than you've ever imagined. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Vivi. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us today um, on this podcast. Oh, you're so welcome. I, this just was so fun. Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Ooh, some say it's just a part of it But we've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to save 